You are listening to a podcast from Australia's best-known community radio station, 3RRR, 102.7 in Melbourne. Kalia and Dylan, and yesterday uh, the Energy and Environment Minister, Josh Frydenberg, released the terms of reference for a climate review, which will be completed by late next year. Uh, the review is going to look at the adequacy of Australia's climate change policies, including the direct action framework to achieve Australia's commitments under the Paris Agreement. And if you haven't been following it, uh, we can kind of fill in the gaps now with Cam Walker from Friends of the Earth. It's really get, great to have you with us, Cam. And uh, we heard after the, the Paris Agreement that our you know goal is to cut greenhouse gas emissions by 26 to 28% by 2030 based on 2005 levels and it's really hard to kind of capture people's hearts and minds with those kinds of stats but basically uh, we've got to find out if our current policies are going to be able to meet those aims and I suppose that's the, the main basis of this review. Yes it is. Um it is hard to kind of figure out what that means, you know, 26 to 28%. But um, the way I often think about it is if everyone, if all the countries on the planet were to take a similar style of cut in that time frame, uh, science seems to be suggesting we'd be heading to a three to four degrees Celsius warming by mid to late century. And that's not something we want to live with. So um, clearly this is, you know, more than 100 countries. It's, it's an international agreement. To our credit, we've actually ratified what's called the Paris Agreement, which says, yes, we are going to meet these targets. But uh, that whole agreement is predicated on keeping warming to 1.5 to 2 degrees Celsius, whereas our current trajectory that Australia has committed to would take us to 3 to 4. And, uh, you know, that is really not a world uh, that we'd want to be living in. So clearly, uh, it's very good that their review has been announced. And so from some of the media reporting I've read, Cam, Josh Frydenberg said that this review won't necessarily result in a massive change to Australia's direct action framework. But how do you see it? Do you think there will be significant changes to how the government addresses climate change? Well, yeah, obviously it is going to be hard to tell. There is some very worrying messaging. So this is meant to be about how we're going to reduce our greenhouse gas emissions to meet our international targets. And what target will we have beyond 2030? Because, you know, we've made this commitment up until 2030. Um, But what they've done, the government in its media statements have introduced two other separate kind of themes to this review. So not just about reducing greenhouse emissions, but talking about energy security and talking about the increase in electricity prices. Now, energy security is code for let's speed up on renewable energy and concern about electricity prices tends to be sometimes also about beating up on renewables um, and saying we need more coal. So there is some messaging in there that's very worrying. Um, Although the, the debate has been very wide thus far in the media, they've talked about the renewable energy target. It's not clear what will happen with that. It's not clear, given that the direct action policy really hasn't been working, our emissions continue to go up. So, you know, we need to do something different. We can't just do business as usual. And it's interesting that there's also been conversation about whether there would be an emissions trading scheme or equivalent, i.e. carbon pricing, i.e. what the coalition tends to call a tax on carbon. So it will be a very interesting review. Is the actual goal uh, that Australia has set of 26 to 28% cut by 2030 up for negotiation or is that set? It's just how are we going to achieve that? 
Yes, it's um, how we'll achieve that, but also very significantly it's what's the long-term emission reduction target. So um, as we start to get closer to 2030 and hopefully you know, in the next few years there'll be a conversation globally about the, the next uh, commitment period in terms of emissions, our argument is based on climate science we actually need to do the hard work now You know, at this end of the century, not after 2030, but that's a whole other conversation. Uh, you know, we're, we're locked into dangerous climate change. It's a question of whether we want to move into catastrophic climate change or not. Um, so the, I, I doubt the government will um, look into a review of the existing targets and I doubt they will countenance a very uh, deep review of the direct action policies that they currently have. Although just in the news today, of course, it was announced that the so-called Green Army, which is... Uh, Generally, for unemployed people, it was a Tony Abbott idea. It's just been shelved in order to save some money, and it was a cornerstone of the direct action policy. So maybe things are up for grabs, uh, and if so, we hope that it would be the government seeking the opportunity actually to, to take action on climate change now rather than put it off for another couple of decades. And I heard Josh Frydenberg rule out this idea of a, of a carbon tax cam, but he was talking about emissions intensity and also the potential for purchasing overseas carbon credits so I'm, I'm just wondering what signal that's sending to us that's a very bad signal you know we have long said if we want to do what's called mitigation which is reducing our emissions here you know transitioning coal-fired power stations say to renewables we've got to do that work here we can't offset it we can't outsource it to some poor country to protect some forest or plants and trees so the fact that that messaging around international offsetting has made its way back into the media announcements really is cause for concern. And um, on uh, another, I suppose, related issue, the Adani coal mine seems to be um, pushing ahead with further negotiations and there's been a significant um, kind of uh, agreement reached uh, over the weekend. It's just being reported in today's papers around the rail project associated with that mine and um, I've heard there's a Adani representative uh, meeting with Prime Minister Turnbull today, Cam. Right, that's happening in Melbourne. So the Adani Carmichael coal mine, which is you know long being proposed up in what's called the Galilee Basin in central Queensland, it'll be our largest coal mine if it actually gets up. It's been resisted by traditional owners and by environmental groups, but it will need a 300-kilometre new rail link to get it out to Abbott Point so that the coal can be shipped off to India. Um, and that's really what we're talking about now. So that previously the Prime Minister said we wouldn't give public money to this project but this is um, infrastructure attached to it the price tag to build the rail link is about 2.2 billion dollars Australian and there's talk uh, that Adani might be granted 1 billion dollars from uh, a, a government entity called the Northern Australia Infrastructure Facility so the proposal has gone to them and it's been You are listening to a podcast from Australia's best known community radio station 3RRR 102.7 in Melbourne and as you mentioned today, the, the head of the Adani uh, group um, is meeting in Melbourne uh, with the Prime Minister and clearly they'll be talking about this, this proposal to receive that money as well as the, the Carmichael mine project in general because the Federal Government has backed in uh, and is supporting the Adani uh, mine whereas, as I mentioned before, environmentalists, a lot of people who work on the Great Barrier Reef, uh, traditional owner groups, 
people concerned about climate change are saying if we do this it will be absolutely disastrous for the climate and it will be disastrous for the Great Barrier Reef as well. Uh, Cam Walker's with us from Friends of the Earth and it seems to me Cam when you start to join the dots together there's a really kind of strange picture emerging so we've got Hazelwood closing down for mainly for economic reasons and there's no kind of clear transition plan for how we're going to deal with other mines and power stations but then we've got uh, a new mine potentially opening up um, the Adami, Adani um, mine that you are just speaking about then. But at the same time, we've had the worst kind of bleaching events in the Barrier Reef um, that we can remember, really. So we've also got sort of concern around unconventional gas and, and sort of alliances between green groups and, and farmers. And so we've, we, the picture is quite a, a strange one at the moment. It is indeed, and uh, we're shipping off um, our gas as fast as we can overseas, which of course is leading to shortages here, which is leading to price rises for domestic consumers. So there's this obsession with um, exports over local use. Uh, that's further complicating the situation and that's applying pressure to the state. So here in Victoria, as, as people probably know, we have a permanent ban on, on the process of fracking, which we, we reckon is a great thing, but uh, the Federal Resources Minister doesn't think it's a good thing uh, because it kind of messes with the amount of gas that's going into the system. You've got irreversible change going on in the coal sector and there will be other economic decisions that close down other coal-fired uh, power stations in the Latrobe Valley. That is just inevitable as the facilities age and become too expensive to keep open or to make safe to operate. So change is coming and yet at the same time as you say yeah there's, there's still a, a federal government that's stubbornly pushing ahead with yep. this you know what will be the largest coal mine in the country. And also I, I didn't even mention there that, that how battery technology is really capturing the imaginations of households all over Australia and people are really excited about the potential of electric vehicles as well charged off their solar systems and this is kind of happening in the community so it's interesting isn't it that uh the transition as you say is inevitable and yet we're kind of we're kind of putting the brakes on a little Yes, indeed, and the community clearly wants transition. We did some polling earlier in the year in Victoria, that, and I, I, from memory the figures were something like 70% of people wanted money to go into to funding for transition. People didn't want to just abandon the Latrobe Valley. You know, they understand that, well, we've done very well off that cheap energy for decades, and now that it's changing, we've got to look after them. And people are, you know, voting with their dollars, uh, solar panels on roofs and all the rest of it. So clearly the, the, the community wants it, even if the federal government doesn't accept that it's uh, already underway. And um, return to the Great Barrier Reef just briefly, Cam. Uh, recently, over the weekend, the government announced spending of $1.3 billion over the next five years to prevent the reef being put on UNESCO's in danger list. And this um, came yeah. after a report card was provided by the Queensland and Australian governments to UNESCO on the, the state of the reef. After all, that bleaching was reported um, in the past year. And is this funding an earnest attempt, do you think, to, to prevent further destruction? I mean, what, what does the $1.3 billion buy us, essentially, if the reef is still struggling? Well, as you mentioned earlier, you know, we've had the worst uh, known coral bleaching event ever. 22% of the reef, you know, was impacted by it. 
The figures I have seen is we'll, we would need $8 billion in order to really do all the things we need to do to adequately protect the reef. So there's the land clearing laws, there's the nitrogen pollution going into the rivers from the agriculture that's just inland. Uh, there's the invasive species such as the crown of thorn starfish and then there's the impacts of climate change. So it's actually, you know, as I like to say, it is a wicked problem. It's very complex and it's very interconnected. But clearly what's going on is that the money the government has spent up at this point is not sufficient to the scale of the task um, that, and certainly um, it's been soundly criticised by environmental groups and uh, World Wildlife Fund for Nature did an interesting report where they challenged the accuracy of the assessment of work that had been done to date and uh, basically they were saying that the actions and the money that's been put on the table will not be able to protect the Great Barrier Reef. So this is our um, last um, episode of this program, The Grapevine for 2016. I suppose it's a good time then to, to look forward, Cam, into 2017. We know come January there's going to be a new president in the White House and I wonder that plus, plus all the other things we've been talking about, what do you think 2017 is going to look like, particularly with climate change policy? Oh, yes, well... This is a grim way to finish the year, really, isn't it, to reflect on that. Uh, Donald Trump made it very clear that he intends to uh, withdraw from the, the global agreement on climate change, and the easiest way to do that is just to pull out of the UN process. Um, if he were to do that, change is inevitable. The European Union is driving a lot of change. Emerging countries, particularly the countries on the front line of climate change, are really pushing it as well. You know, um, the transformation will continue. However, um, it's still the most powerful nation on the planet if they basically do a 180-degree turn away from the consensus and the concerted action. That is going to be very, very worrying. And, I, you know, I guess it will play out. He's already, to a degree, moderating some of his more outlandish promises that he made in the election. Let's hope he realises that walking away from the Paris Agreement and the UN framework would be disastrous for his country as well as disastrous for the planet. Well, thank you so much for all your contributions to this show this year. It's always really great to, to hear uh, what Friends of the Earth is up to, but also to get your perspective uh, across global environmental policy. So um, enjoy the summer, and um, we'll catch you in 2017. Yes, thank you. You too. Thanks, Cam. Tony Wilson is with us, broadcaster and author. Uh, he's... Um, book The Cow Tripped Over the Moon was honoured in this year's CBC Awards and is actually going to be the simultaneous storytime book next year and um, we're going to start with that but we're actually going to talk to you about speeches, Tony with your speakola.com website but congrats on the book. Oh, she's so high, is the cow. She's flying <laughs> I finally got one to she's fly. Tri- she's tripping Yeah, yeah, she's <laughs> tripping and she's flying and yeah, on the 24th of May next year, um, it gets read in all primary schools, all kinders, all daycares so half a million kids this year heard the simultaneous story time, and yep. and cow is it next year? So so that's lovely. And uh, how does that happen? That kind of thing. Oh uh, well, it's just I was it's just luck. I think well, no, it's you need something walk. good. You've got to do yeah. something good, and then you need luck. So it has to be your moment. And so, what's the buzz theme at the moment in schools? Resi- resilience, perseverance. And so I wrote something really just because it rhymed, and I thought it was a funny idea that the cow didn't get over first time, but I wasn't going in to hit the curriculum, you know. <laughs> but then suddenly it kind of does and, you, and you, you've got a winner. And I reckon, oh, God, you've got to be lucky in this game. So, so you'd, sometimes you're just at the right place doing the right thing. And this one, I've done, this is the eighth one. Like the cow, I've had 
seven previous I was going to say it's, and, it's luck, but there's luck backed by a long time of, of work and perfecting writing for children because it's, it's an art. Really. I mean, it really is. It's not an yeah. easy thing to write for children. And there's ones that, you know, like the Thirsty Flowers, which, you know, in here at Triple R, people recorded and did voices for and I thought was so good. But in some ways it's a massive investment of a parent's night. It's two and a half thousand words long or something. Yeah, I've read it a couple of times to my kids. Yeah, that's right. But you you learn how to skip every third page and stuff (laughs) like that, you know. So it's kind of like... um, the, the combination of, of Cow being an earlier childhood book too. So it's th- three, all the sales in kids' books and all the glory is young, I reckon. If you're going to do picture books, as soon as you get up to five, six, seven, eight, doing your brilliant high concept, Harry High Pants, let's fight for freedom, <laughs> let's have a, a civil li- li- liberties book, you know, you think you're going to soar with that and then you go, oh, no, six, six-year-olds just want to read Andy Griffiths. I'm not going to read your stupid picture book. <laughs> so are you going to be hosting a reading? Yeah, so um, I, I believe um, that I'm at the children's hospital, I think. I'm not sure. I got a, a tentative, will you go to the children's hospital? And, yeah, I spent half my life there, so, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we'll, try and re- we'll try and re- um, remind people before that in, um, in May. But we're going to talk about speeches because you are also uh, the person behind the speakola.com website, which if you haven't discovered yet is a website just full of amazing speeches. And they're not just all your high-profile national figures, although they're there as well, but they're, they're eulogies and, and speeches at 21st and a whole range of different things. And um, when did you start this? It's been going at least a, a so year. So I started or- in August 2015 yep. and um, it's been it's gone really well so I think we've had half a million hits now and and basically the idea was you know I, it was a combination of things one is I do give all sorts of speeches and, I, and I'd done birthday speeches and I had old 21st speeches and wedding speeches and whatever else and I always I'm the sort of person who likes the speeches um, and then then there was also the sort of sense that I went and visited the I Have a Dream speech often and I've got it on my iPod and, you know, I listened to great speeches, like a huge Obama fan and kind of the music of speeches and the structure and I kind of I kind of love them. And there was a, just a night I was speaking to my brother and thought uh, we should try and just start making a, a bank of good ones and um, and what's out there. So I had a look around to see who'd, who'd done a good speeches compilation and there is a, a couple of good ones. There's one called um, American Rhetoric that's really good. It's got like the, what they rate Americans. But because they're Americans, they immediately, it was like, oh, well, we can do a different one to this because um, because they don't have any Australian speeches and they don't have any English speeches. They just they only care about themselves, as, as we all know. Um, and then, and then there was the another one called the Eloquent Woman, which is really good. So that's a site that compiles speeches for women, and um, I really like that site. Uh, but basically, there weren't too many others. Like there was, there was a sense that it was a gap that people. Oh, sometimes the libraries kind of had a speeches section. And then I went. Oh, so, and then I got into it, talking a bit more, and thought, well, what if there was other types of speeches, like um, the the everyday person as well? You know, like we could have a category for famous, but then have a whole lot of non-famous categories. And there's again for each category. If you look up eulogies.com, there might be forty eulogies up there. Uh, but no one's sort of trying to get every eulogy in the world. That's that, on my. Um, you know, I was thinking, oh, let's start just getting them all. Get everyone, <laughs> every eulogy in the world, come onto my site. <laughs> <laughs> so they're mainly so, written, but there's some audio, some video. There's Yeah, combos. so I, if it's on YouTube, I embed the video. And if it's not on YouTube, I put up a photo with the text. 
And so it's great to be able to listen to them. That's kind of where they're meant to be appreciated. And, you know, I, was, I put up Martin Luther King's um, In Support of Rosa Parks last night. When I say I put up, it's up, been up there for ages. But no one visits anything unless I put it on Facebook or Twitter. So I kind of make a speech of the day, and it's often based around an anniversary. So today is the... What is it? 61st anniversary of Martin Luther King talking about the Montgomery bus boycott. And so he is talking about what an amazing woman Rosa Parks was and and he's doing it in his incredible style. Um, that doesn't have the full audio of that speech. So sometimes I, I... But I've found a little doco about that speech and about that boycott, so I embed that at the top of the speech. So that's the sort of thing. And then it becomes the speech of the day um, and I cycle through usually a couple of speeches a day through, you know, Twitter, which is um, at speakola underscore... I like the underscore. It's like <laughs> loser. <laughs> couldn't get ad speak. Ola, could you? <laughs> no, I couldn't because Garina, uh, someone in India, has at speak. Ola, and she's tweeted five times. Oh. And I have. You could put a claim in, maybe. Pay her off. <laughs> I did send her a note, but she didn't get back to me. But I think she's following it very closely, and and Facebook as well. So so um, that's just a speak. Ola search on Facebook, and you'd get that. And I kind of basically um, funnel them through and serve them up to people and. And they're going great. Some of them, some of them, massive. Like the the, the one from um, Ken Lay last year. So you know that that speech he gave about the origins of domestic violence. He gave it on I think White Ribbon Day last year. That's had eighty thousand hits on Speakola. So people that doesn't have vision or audio. It's just people reading the text. It's amazing text um, about the kind of what he sees as the origins of domestic violence. And and he looks in very young kids and says that women learn. That we have to teach women to, to that this behaviour is unacceptable at a very young age, and we have to te- teach boys that this uh, behaviour is unacceptable, and that the boys will be boys kind of mentality that kind of permeates um, society is part of the. Yeah, it was problem. a very powerful speech. It was an amazing speech, great speech. So sixty, I think it's sixty odd thousand hits on that one. I had ninety thousand hits in one night. There was a stayed up all night for it. Um, <laughs> when because uh, I got on the front page of Reddit with um, Eric Idle's eulogy for Graham Chapman, and that one just went bananas. Like it just for, for whatever reason, it's not. It's a good, really good speech, but there's no reason why there's a million good speeches on Speakola, but this one gets plucked out, got stuck on the front page of Reddit, and ninety three thousand hits in a night or something. So you sort of have these moments of it going amazingly, but it sort of ticks over, you know, sort of between five and 500 hits and 1,000 hits a day on the various speeches. And more and more I'm getting, you know, I got a guy emailed me the other day going, oh, I've got to write a wedding speech for my daughter and can you, um, uh, how do I do it? You know, I sort of go, oh, well, <laughs> I've got all these wedding sections. You, <laughs> you can look at my wedding section. Part of the glory of Speakola is that, I mean, I wouldn't choose my dad's anecdotes about my brother, but, you know, at the same time, why not go with, you know, locate your speech? He, you know, he, dad located his at Red Hill. Then he talked about Ned Young. Then he talked about why he loved Ned. And then he talked about Olivia. And then he talked about one sentence he once heard Ned say, and then he tight tailed it out. I thought it was a really nice structure. And he's going, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, can I send you my speech after I <laughs> after I finish it? And uh, he was just a guy who'd heard me on radio. So it's kind of like the, it is getting. Hopefully, I I was hoping that it would get that every person. So the every person who's yep. battling with the twenty first or the wedding 
goes there and well, I don't want to use the word steals, but certainly gets ideas and, and structural tips. Even some of the most high-profile people in the world steal speeches. Well, that's right. Mm, now you're on. Do. You wanted me to do the speeches of 2016. I guess that's <laughs> as high a speech controversy as there was this year. <laughs> I think um, it is. Melania and uh, Michelle seemingly having very similar ideas on how to Funny do a, a, a first lady speech. But it was, um, yeah, that... Uh, which is the other side, I guess, of the site where we kind of, you know, because in the internet era of Facebook and Twitter, it feels like they come along a fair bit. Like people say, have you seen this speech? And that that probably didn't happen 10 years ago, you know, like a great political speech kind of just wafted out there and and was heard by the people and maybe watched on TV. And if you were lucky, you ran a video over it. But and, and then occasionally some stick, like Paul Keating's yeah, speech at Redfern or, yeah, like you say, these are massive speeches, yeah, aren't massive, they? Yeah, massive, those We're, ones, yeah. But, but now, you know, Barack Obama, I think I might have put up 11 Barack Obama speeches from the last 12 months. So, like, he's doing, mind you, he is just pumping them out. <laughs> They're all amazing. You sort of sit there going, wow, he's, he's just really sad about going <laughs> he's producing some pretty excellent speeches but that but you know the idea that each of these commencement speeches um they're put up on the websites of the unis and, and the text is there as well like it's it's really there's really an effort to get to to memorialize these great bits of work and and i think that the speech is an odd thing in the sense that you know like i couldn't do this you can't write and and yes if you want if you want to ask me about the copyright implications of this they're pretty dodgy, right? So, um, so if and I, and I will take. There's a thing on the homepage where I say I'll take down any speech people don't want out there. But there's there's a sense that um, that Barack Obama, you know, he doesn't care. They're, they're going out there on YouTube. There's 250 million hits on YouTube. So what does he care if it goes on Speakola? He really doesn't. And so and so basically in this internet era, I haven't had one request for it to be removed, and um, and been going for 15 or 16 months. Uh, and there's a thing, I think, where people put a lot of work and a lot of creative energy and it exists in that moment. So it's not like if I was doing this with great pieces of writing, you really can't do this. Yeah. Like it's, it's, it's a copyright. Well, then they're meant yeah. to be repeated often, speeches too, don't you think? Yeah. Like I don't know, and quoted. I mean, we're in a media... But I wonder, when you talk about Barack Obama, we don't, ha- we don't at the moment seem to have great orators in... Uh, uh, has there been a great... Yes, we do. We've got the greatest uh, greatest speaker in Australia at the moment. Unbelievably, is a, is the former speak, host of Today Tonight, Stan Grant. He's an unbelievable speaker, but he, he's not a politician. I suppose no. I was thinking of politicians as. And so the best political speakers in Australia. Wow, I mean, yeah, there, there's none that are standing out as you know, sort of. Uh, but sometimes you see them. We don't see them in the right forum. So, so they go to um, like, for example, Bill Shorten, who's you would think is a terrible speaker, right? Because not many transcendent Bill Shorten moments you've had over the last year. One of the speeches of 2016 is Bill Shorten's um, eulogy to Bob Ellis. And it's a beautiful speech, just a beautiful speech. And I wasn't there to see the delivery and there's no audio, but it's so wonderfully constructed, full of anecdotes and lightness and laughter. And, and you go, well, if you did that, if you rolled that out, and I was just thinking, I put it up before the election, saying if Bill Shorten can be this Bill Shorten, then people will think differently. But there's so much at stake. Um, you know, there's there's elections to be won, and and people are so scared of making a mistake. And I, I even look at um, 
Malcolm Turnbull and think, well, what, what are you afraid of making a mistake for? Like you got, you did it. You ticked <laughs> you're off your, a, You're making a lot already. You, so. you, you ticked <laughs> off your. You ticked off your box of being prime minister. And so, why do you care? Like if if you f up mm. from this point, like because you're doing absolutely nothing. You're doing nothing other than staying in power. Um, and so why not go down with a bit of a blaze of glory, Keating style, you know? Like just, oh, what do I believe in? Uh, you know how I said, Conservatives, you know how I said I wasn't going to do a republic to you when I got it? Oh, fuck do off, it. I'm doing it. And, <laughs> and also, I mean, Keating would say you've got to roll the dice sometimes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, sorry. And well, it's interesting as well when, when politicians let their guard down and they don't have much to lose. Like Hillary Clinton's concession speech was, was brilliant, but yeah. we didn't kind of see much that was shared of her speeches in the campaign, the election campaign, because it kind of wasn't as disastrous as, as Trump or as kind of, I don't know, eloquent and beautiful as, as Obama's speeches. Yeah, that's right. So she feel, falls into that middle ground where she feels political and, and a bit unlikely. I think her words are often quite good. And, and you know, her gla- we're all standing under a glass ceiling speech was really good when she got the nomination and her concession speech is really beautiful. Uh, but there's a because she doesn't have the music and the voice, which none of us have, you know, like it's it's... it's you're comparing some. You're going from kind of this guy who's. I reckon he's better than Martin Luther King, Barack Obama. That's how good he is. You know, like he's. Well, people think Michelle's even better than Barack Obama. You know, <laughs> with her kind of passion and well, her quaver a, in her voice. She's and... brilliant too. I mean, the two of them. Imagine, the, you know, like the, the, the arguments over how you should make the pancake better. Must <laughs> be so really sing. We should, we're speaking with Tony Wilson. Uh, he's many things, but he's also the person behind the speakholder.com website. And we're going to talk about some of the, the better speeches of this year, or the best, if we, we can play some of those. And you mentioned Stan Grant. So this is one of the ones that um, your people may have heard, uh, might might not have heard. Yeah. Let's take a bit of a listen. This is so um, after the Four Corners episode about the what was going down at the Dondale detention facility. How can I stand here and speak to the idea of our place in an indissoluble commonwealth when this week my people have been reminded yet again that our place is so often behind this nation's bars? This week, my people know what Australia looks like. This week, Australia is a boy in a hood in a cell. This week, Australia is Aboriginal boys tear-gassed, locked down and beaten. These are the images on our television screens. The boys who look like my boys. And I watched my teenage son as he saw this unfold before him. I saw him lose his place in the world. With each scene of horror, he became less sure of his country. For he has not been raised to believe in our worst. He has been spared the fate of many of his people. So, yeah, so he's amazing. But listen to the... He, he never has any notes... So he seems to learn speeches and he said about his amazing one from the previous year, the 2015 speech, the debate about whether Australia's racist and talking about the Australian dream. And he, he said, oh, I didn't really know that. And I couldn't believe that he hadn't at least done a couple of versions to the mirror. And then, th- again, you sort of hear that and you go, oh, you get, 
done some versions to the mirror, haven't you? You know, like, but he doesn't seem to have any notes. But he, I mean, that said, I mean, he's an amazing. He's he's come on this show this year, earlier this year, and he's he is an amazing speaker. But he's done so much to camera work over decades as a journalist. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, maybe he can just. And do that, pull that out. I mean, it's amazing. And also the beautiful repetition which he was using there. You know, like he finds the first word and the the, the kind of the emphasis of each paragraph, mm. and um, he uses specific examples all the time. And he's great at dragging back to the personal. He did that in that speech there, but he also did that last year as well when he talked about um, the trauma that went through his family in, in terms of the traditional lands and the deaths on those lands and you know so he's able to make the political personal which i think is a, a huge skill well it makes it sound authentic and and you you believe what he's saying you believe that it deeply affects him yeah and it's him who's saying it and then there's the voice timbre you know like obama that's good voice you know it's it's really as you say it's trained and it's deep and sort of yeah it fills you up it's great I want to play one more, and I mean, there's there's a lot of kind of high profile speeches on Speakholder that I was looking through that I kind of been familiar with, where I'd watch it all myself or seen my friends sort of commenting on it on Facebook. But um, one I stumbled across that I hadn't heard before was an event you were hosting at the Wheeler Centre, a show and tell event, um, and it's um, Rob Carlton. I think it's had a lot of hits on on Speakholder as well. It has. This one was our, is our second biggest speech of the year, and Rob um, is the actor who played Kerry Packer in Paper Giants, and he's a very funny man usually very funny good actor as well and this was uh the item he brought along which was a stick mm. and you might not sort of fully grasp what he's talking about but you can sense the the gravity and and the emotion in it so um let's hear from rob carlton um and we meet in the foyer after we go to the curve bar and she, they say how are you going i said i'm really well but i've had this really interesting kind of incredible night with mum and dad talking about the detail of that day Richard died. And I said, you know, and I talked about this and I talked about that and, and I said, and this, this moment with mum running down the garden path and, and I was a sad, and she said, oh, but Rob, that's not the clearest memory of my day. I said, what is it? And she said, dad. And I'd never heard anything about my dad's response on that day. I'd only ever heard it through the prism of dad saying it's so much worse for your mum. And that was it. I said, what do you mean? Now, I may lose it during this bit. Again, don't worry, I'm brave. So we're standing in the curve bar having this conversation. And my sister says, my most potent memory of that day when they put Richard into the back of the ambulance. Dad. Banging on the roof of the ambulance and howling. And she told me that and I had this like emotional punch. It was like a fist jamming into my chest and I literally went, oh! And he went bent down and started sobbing and sobbing. And I couldn't stand up and I bent down to my knees. And it was like, I was a, like a groaning wreck. I've never felt anything like that in my life. So that's um, Rob Carlton at a Wheeler Centre show and tell event hosted by uh, Tony, Tony Wilson earlier this year. Did you see that speech 
coming? Um, yes. Do you know that I was doing this? I did two events for the Wheeler Centre that were called Show and Tell for Grown Ups, which was my idea. And I thought, oh, I'd be great. You know, in some ways, there's been <coughs> shows, <coughs> excuse me, shows a bit like it on TV, you know, things like Pictures of You that the, that, um, the working dog people did where they talk about a photograph and it becomes the basis for the story and I thought well what about you know just people coming in with an item from their life and show because it's so much fun for kids you know to do show and tell but you know you don't get to do it as a grown-up and and so I was telling Rob because we were talking about something else I said um you know what would you do and he said I know what I'd do we've got a stick in my family that my my mum picked up off a beach in New Zealand on the the evening that my brother died before I was born, but yeah, she picked up this stick and it's become the stick of Richard life and, and we use it for lots of things in our family. Like it's kind of like a spiritual stick, but it's also been quite a, you know, like we also use it for stirring curries and stuff, you know, like it's kind of this. <laughs> and and so like it was just... It's a, a utensil as well. Yeah, it's a utensil. And, um, and in fact, his son broke the stick stirring something and uh, it was in front of his mum. Um, and she said, oh, it's had that little stick's got broken, has it? We might just... Uh, <laughs> she went and got it fixed. <laughs> but it was, she said it was a great testament to her, just how great she is and made him... How much... He, it was part of his story, is how much he loves her and how, you know, in the moment of watching her 40-year stick get broken by her grandson, she was absolutely unflappable. Um, but, yeah, it was a, an amazing item to choose. And I spoke to him on the phone and said, well, you've just... You know, I'm going to be asking around people and you've just iced it. Can I pay for your airfare? <laughs> so actually the Wheeler Centre paid for their, his airfare, but it was... Um, was there a dry eye in the house? No, there was no dry eyes. It was unbelievable. And in fact, the follow-up, which is also one of the best speeches on the Speakola, is Damien Callanan's um, speech about... He brought a jar of jam. Um, what's the type of fruit that makes you wince? Um, it's a... Marmot or something? No, horrible. Anyway, it's a, I can't remember. He was, it was a much, very much a feature of a very funny story, but the Damien Callanan speech about the, the jam that his mum, he was going to give his mum, uh, on the day that, that, and then she died that day. Um, that's also a really beautiful speech. Really great. And so, um, looking to the year ahead, we're going to have a, a new president in the US. Where are you anticipating Speak All is going to be in December 2017? Inauguration oh. speech, maybe? <laughs> Lots of wedding speeches sent in by you, the <laughs> listener. I'm just going to have to stick my head in sand as I um, said I was going to when Tony Abbott got elected. I said, oh, I'm having six years off. And I haven't really successfully done that in terms of avoiding <laughs> politics. But, you know, this is pretty frightening, I think. And, you know, he won't hit any transcendent heights of speech making. And even his acceptance speech, which he got praised for because it was, you know, he didn't flash his balls or anything. So everyone's really pleased when Donald Trump doesn't, um, you know, hits the absolute basics of... Of, uh, his speeches don't make his speeches don't make any sense when they're written down anyway. Oh, unbelievable! Spelling you, mistakes. You have a look at what he had to say about Aleppo in the debates. It's like, wow, is that? Did you really just string all those words together? Um, so he'll he'll make some terrible speeches. Um, there'll be lots of probably quite famous speeches because of the mistakes he'll make. Mm. But you know, basically, it's it's ending the era of these amazing speeches. But you sometimes wonder, and I was sort of writing here thinking, you know, how I'm going to miss Obama. 
but you know the rallying of that competence so one of the th- reasons trump is in is that the more competent you get and the better you get all that does is rub it in you know so it's just creates the divide and the like even it didn't matter how well hillary debated how well she refuted things that it was actually the competence that got to people and the, the intelligence and the and that you belong to the intelligent class and you think you're better than us do you think and, we have that here yeah, absolutely, we do. So I've been also panicking about, you know, I'm in favour of a change the date, um, and and sitting there online thinking, you know, that'd be great, causes so much pain. But the fight that you have, what happens in the fight? So, um, does Malcolm declare? No, he probably doesn't. Does exactly what he does all the time, which is just fuck all. Like just sits there and and absorbs the status quo. But if you actually had a you know, if if if, there, if for example Labor went, let's go for it, um, we'll go for it, and you had a kind of it became an election about change the date, like you could really rally some pretty ugly forces, and and who who wins out of that? Like, did someone like Bernardi get in charge of the Liberal Party? You know, so it's it, it would only take a kind of a a rallying cry, I reckon, and um, and then you know we're in the same shit that they're in. You know, and the, the, the very fact that it's happened in both England and America and, you know, we're pretty much a pretty similar democracy and pretty similar forces at play and, you know, at the moment it's sort of luck, you know, you, that the, the, we went from a, you know, if Abbott was in charge, anything could happen and you hope that do-nothing Malcolm is a fairly, uh, you know, it's probably a benign alternative. Potentially. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much for coming. And um, it's always great to have you in. No Tina. worries. So, yeah, it's speakola.com. And do send in the speeches. Like, um, I know people, I think people think, oh, but have a listen to Rob Carlton there. And you go, Mine, oh, my father of the bride speech was a piece of crap compared to that. And, and there's, like, seriously, there's a real range. So it's more about the love and the event than hitting these marks. And I sometimes think people are intimidated to go up. It was actually quite a nice... Like, in 10 years, at least you won't have to look for your speech. You'll know where it is. Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> so where else will it be? It's, it's like exactly. a, a knowledge bank of sorts, yeah. inspiration for others. But, I, I mean, I think I said to you, oh, my friend of mine just gave the most beautiful speech for his father at his father's funeral. And I, um, and you, and I put that one up, didn't oh, I? Oh, did you? Yeah, I think yeah, you did. And, yeah. I, and that, that sense that they've captured that person. And see, a famous speech by somebody else doesn't capture that person. And I think this is what speeches can do so beautifully is that the, that exact person and your relationship with them is what's important in the speech. And it comes through. It really yeah, does. absolutely. So send one in, uh, look it up, share a speech and... And I, you never know. I, I haven't turned one dollar yet. You'll be pleased to know. So it is a love <laughs> project. It's a, it's a love. And get in touch with Tony Wilson if you want him to write your uh, your speech. Yeah, that's right. Or... Ring in, and, um, and I'll start <laughs> off with. <laughs> Here's my and dad's speech. Copy that. Change the names and. <laughs> And uh, yeah, you can even and, use that quote. It's really good. And if you want to, if you want to um, send some some dollars um, Tony's way, then um, check out your local children's bookstore. And he's got lots of offerings. Um, the cow tripped over the moon was honoured this year in the CBC Awards, and he's got the Selwood Boys coming out as well. So it's um, out. So oh, it's that's out. The is story it? of the Selwood family in Bendigo in the nineties. It's a really good book for grade three to seven, yep. and it's sort of about growing up in a. Boise house with pranks and that sort of stuff. Yep, so you can get your hands on that one as well. 
You have been listening to a podcast from Australia's best-known community radio station, 3RRR, 102.7 in Melbourne. For more podcasts, information about upcoming events and our live stream, please visit our website at rrr.org.au.